0: What do Papa Shango, Brutus Beefcake, and Larry Greenwald have in common? They hail from parts unknown.
1: Welcome to Retire With Style. I'm Wade, and I'm joined with Alex. And we're continuing our series today talking about the retirement income style awareness with financial advisors and financial professionals who have experience now using it as well. And we're very fortunate to welcome Larry Greenwald to the show today, who's a financial advisor based out of the New York City area. Westchester in particular, but with the, the home office there in, in New York City. And Larry, thank you so much for joining us on the show today.
2: Uh, it's a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. No, no. My absolutely,
3: my, my pleasure is ours. And uh, before, we were asking Larry what titles were and the like. And I in my head, what I thought is the king of New York. How does that
2: sound, Larry? <laughs> I, I don't know if it's the king. I don't know if it's the king of New York, but... Um, You know, I I think it definitely is worth mentioning that the three of us do have a a passion for retirement income planning. And uh, one of the things that I think are important is uh, that we also have something else in common. I know that Alex and I, uh, we've gotten together and we talked about our love of cigars and a good cocktail. But I didn't know that uh, or I didn't think that Wade uh, and I had something in common. But we do. And... (laughs) And, and as kids, we were both fans of professional wrestling and uh, different oh, generations right. of different stars back then. But I can remember as a kid sitting in the old New Haven Coliseum front row, watching the old wrestling stars of the day as we were sitting there. My grandfather was smoking a cigar. So uh, we have something else oh, in common. <laughs> so if you're New Haven, that, that's
1: Bruno San Martino country, right? Bruno yeah. San
2: Martino, Gorilla <laughs> Monsoon uh vince mcmahon's father actually was running the company then so uh that was their home base <laughs> and uh unfortunately the new haven coliseum is no longer there uh, but i still have fond memories of there being with my grandfather front row uh watching what i now realize are very skilled uh, they're skilled entertainers this is old school this
3: is where <laughs> i used to watch this with my grandfather TV. but i don't know if it was like the same region we had like billy jack haynes Sure. We well, they about, moved King, you, Yeah, you
1: grew up in Florida. Yeah, King yeah. Kong so Bundy.
3: Those guys. wrestling
2: from Florida. Does that sound yeah. familiar? King
3: Kong Bundy. <laughs> oh, King Kong yeah. Bundy.
2: Yeah, like those kind uh, of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they moved around to the different federations. So they they were in up <laughs> New York area where the WWE is now, and then they went in there was there was wrestlers in the Midwest and the South, but I think they all worked the circuit.
3: Who was there? It Was like a samurai guy, <laughs> <laughs> like he would. Shoot stuff out of his mouth. It was like like smoke and stuff like that.
1: Oh, the great! You are probably thinking the great Kabuki. <laughs> the great Kabuki.
2: I, I remember. Wait watching, for the win. <laughs> I remember watching. It goes to show you how long ago it was. The Rock's uncle. Uh, it was Peter oh, Mayavia. They, they, they the whole group, the family was from uh, Samoa, and and that was the precursor to. Uh, the Dwayne Johnson getting into the wrestling business. Uh, but, but it was-
3: Leaping Lenny Poffo. Well, we Leaping to- Lenny Poffo. Is that a guy? He always he lost. Least- With a name like that, yes, you don't know, win. Is-
2: <laughs> yep. And Randy I think he was the, of the brother, brother of Randy oh, really? Savage.
3: Oh my goodness. Wait. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> you got to add a chapter to your book. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, the first show I was able to attend live. He wrestled in the first match, and he signed autographs afterward. And this is Detroit, Michigan, where nobody – it was kind of a secret that he was Randy Savage's brother. But I asked him, and he said it was true. There you go.
2: Well, I I guess next time we all get together, we'll have dinner, we'll go out, we'll find the next wrestling event, we'll all go to that.
1: Well, I think you guys are on another level. I'm like
2: double
3: A. You guys are like
2: major
1: leagues here. Uh, we <laughs> need to change the podcast to wrestling with style. Yeah,
2: exactly.
3: <laughs> wrestling with style. There we go. Wrestling, Love which,
1: that's great.
3: Love that's it. Great. And Larry, what, one of the things we mentioned in the last podcast is, look, a lot of folks are, are used to listening to like talking heads. You know, speak about retirement income, et cetera, et cetera, and, and even you know, Wade is a subject matter expert. There's no doubt about it. You know, et cetera. But we're not, we're not advisors. We're not out on the the front lines. Sure, people call us in for meetings, but it's just not the same. And the the, the little preamble was: listen, the folks that are on TV and all that those aren't advisors. The the real advisors that are doing the work are folks like you, who frankly don't have the time nor inclination to always. You know, do the hey, it's eighty percent of my week is just creating content. You know, that that kind of stuff. Cause you enjoy the smell of the Excel sheets. You enjoy just the the client meetings and the like. And we thought, what a great way to really you know talk about Theresa, you know, by just coming up with like real life stories and talking about it, as opposed to Wade and I talking about our research behind
1: it and the like. Wade, right? Yeah, yeah, that's really the idea that we now have advisors who are out there using the RISA in practice and and using it as a tool for those firms. And so it's a great chance to just connect with people and and hear some of the stories about uh, in practice how things get done and what sort of role the RISA can play for a financial advisor. And
3: Larry, if you have done this with any wrestlers, even better.
1: If You have done the uh, research no, with I, any
3: wrestlers. I, I mean, you I, got a life. You get a lifetime subscription for free. I, I, have, <laughs> I have
2: not yet. Uh, but to be honest with you, I think that's a market we'd like to penetrate because it would be. <laughs> It, it would certainly be, <laughs> if nothing else, it would be entertaining.
1: Yes, yes. Indeed, yes. although they don't always take good care of their money. So
2: they, well, they may
1: need or some their backs and-
2: <laughs> or, their, or their minds after a while. <laughs> I think they yeah, 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 yeah. probably get a little fried anyhow after some length of time. Now, now
3: I'm also thinking about the <laughs> intro for you. It'd be the limousine ride-in with, you know, remember the, the Ric Flair intro? Oh, yeah, you know yourself, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's silent and profiling <laughs>
3: yeah there you go so Larry, like, how, how would you describe the reset to a buddy or to an advisor if, if you're if you're if you're having drinks with somebody and and you're you're comparing notes and someone says hey what are you I, doing now how, how do you, you know take it from there man I,
2: I if somebody asked me to in a very succinct way to explain the reset to a friend i would basically say and expand upon this of course It's a personality assessment tool that uh, will greatly assist in the development and implementation of a plan to maximize your financial security and enjoyment in retirement. And I think that's critical. The reason, amongst others, that um, we use the RISA, and I find it particularly useful, is I think people forget that there's two aspects of financial planning, and and it becomes even more important during the retirement process – It's not only the actual numbers. Everybody knows you've got to get a budget and expenses and how much money do you have available in your accounts. But it's understanding what the psychological nature of that particular client is. It is so important. You're not buying a product. You're buying a relationship. And people need to feel comfortable. In many cases, they don't understand exactly what to do. They need guidance and help. And and anything is, everything is based on what's right for them. Something that's optimal for somebody is not optimal for somebody else. So for us, when we begin the planning process, it's always begins with a discovery. The the soft questions, what's important to you? What do you want to achieve? What are your goals, loves? Um, what do you want to do in your life? And so That's where there's a particular fit and the affinity for the RISA is it really uncovers that because no matter what the numbers are, if you can't get to the root of what that person is looking for and what their and and their emotional being is, then you're never going to have that ultimate connection. And you're probably not going to be able to basically serve them in in a way that maximizes what they're what they'd like to achieve. No, I think that's great. Wait, I think I think that's like a website copy for us.
3: I mean, wow. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> <My goodness. laughs>
1: and and for anyone who's just kind of tuning in, the, the the Risa is an assessment tool that helps identify as a starting point between there there's so many different retirement strategies out there and so much conflicting information. I think it's hard for the end user who's thinking about their retirement to know where to start sometimes. And so that was the, the genesis of the RISA was having a framework or trying to create a framework to help people just think about that. Uh, and so, Larry, that's, thank you so much for describing it in that way. And this is always a, a scary question to ask, but just the, uh, the idea of first impressions when you first heard of the RISA framework, and good or bad, yeah, yeah, what was your, what was first your initial reaction?
2: Well, I'm, I'm going to take it one step further to, to, to tell you how, how, why I had an aha moment with it. A couple of years ago, I started I started going through the process by which I was looking down the road and said, Jesus, I'm going to I'm close to going, you know, trans transitioning from the accumulation to the distribution process. Uh, And I had to look at my own situation as an advisor, but more as an individual. And I sat back and I knew all my financials. But I said, listen, what do I want to achieve? What are my goals, my dreams? And I went through the process. I used a risk tolerance questionnaire, which we use, which we know has a use, but it's limited. And then I asked myself a lot of, you know, what I would call soft questions. I did a lot of self-reflection. And then I put a plan in place. I didn't know really there was a style, but I put a plan in place and a strategy consistent with what I thought would serve me well in my retirement years. Lo and behold, I find the Risa. And I think it was one of the challenges, to be honest with you. And I said, wow, this is perfect. Let me take the Risa. So I took it. It took me 15 minutes. The questions were straightforward. They were insightful. It was easy. And lo and behold, my style and the resultant solutions that go with the style mirror exactly what I put in place. But it took me 10 times longer to do. And so I had that aha moment saying, look it, here's a tool that's not out there that does in a short period of time what it took me for a long time to put together, but I got the same results. So as I said, this would be perfect for a client, but it also would be perfect as an advisor. And then when I looked at it that way and I saw exactly how it all planned out, that was my moment where to say this is a tool that there's nothing like this out there that would help us to help the client and would be, also be what would, would be an excellent tool as a prospecting tool.
3: No, I, I think that's great. I, I, I think I share the similar aha moment to you, and, and, and it's a funny sort of way. And, and wait, n- I never asked you what you thought once you took it, but it's funny, right? We came up with the questions like, you know, but you're, you're still a little bit of a third party because you're, you're doing it with your researcher head on. Coming up with the questions, validating it, editing them, et cetera, et cetera, looking for reliability, clusters, whatnot. But then, at a certain point, we just took it as a as a as a consumer, not as a scientist trying to. <laughs> but as well, let me see how I really feel. Even though you come up with the questions, when you have to ask yourself the questions and do it sincerely, you know, it was a different feeling. And I came out of it in a manner that uh, I didn't fully expect. But once I did it, I realized oh, yeah, I can see why I'm like this and, you know, I can see why I got to start looking into this. I mean, I I turned 50 this year and yeah, it's coming into the forefront of, you know, I got to start now aligning my strategies. And I took it and I'm realizing, yeah, okay, makes sense. Like I have kind of a a path in the back of my head too now. But I I think what you did as an advisor, like I I say this all the time and and Wade, you you know, we're going to have a drinking game, you know, every time I say this, but I, we didn't discover anything, right? I, I, I think good science is just surfacing surfacing up what was implicitly acknowledged or what was implicitly there, but doing it in a framework that makes it more systematized. And so I think that's why you saw that, oh, wow, it's so much more efficient. But it wasn't anything you didn't really know. It was just we kind of laid it out maybe a little more elegant for you,
2: right? Well, and, and I think that's the case. It does two things. It makes it easier for us to work with the client because it's systematized it's easy to take. It doesn't take a lot of time. The results go a long way in terms of the discovery process and beginning of the p- financial planning. And, and we were able to have the conversation and start to build a deeper relationship. So it did a lot of things in terms of helping us ultimately build a relationship get the client comfortable, and then take the planning process to the next level, which really was key. You know, efficiency is really very, very important. We're limited for time. We want to do it in the most efficient, uh, productive manner. And I think that's what the REISA—that's the RISA lends itself to. Okay, yeah, yeah. And in
1: terms of efficiency, that's a, kind of a, we're still kind of learning everything in terms of what what's the most useful. So there are the different options about which questions to ask. Everyone gets asked the basic questions to determine the RISA profile. But one of the options in there too that I think can help tell the story, but I'd like to find out if it's useful in practice is the, the questions around the retirement concerns that help to assess, are people worried about longevity, outliving their money? Are they worried about lifestyle, just maximizing today so that they get the best retirement experience? Are they worried about legacy are they worried about liquidity? Are those questions that you choose to use when developing an assessment? And
2: if so, yeah, <laughs> do you find them helpful? Well, absolutely. And 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 I'm glad you asked that question because it all comes down to methodology and process. And and for us, you know, the the logical next step after the RISA is to frame the four L's. Now, our clients mostly are concerned, and I think this is probably the universal. I'm making a, an educated guess. You know, there's, you know, the expenses, both essential expenses and discretionary and legacy and contingencies. Most people, regardless of the wealth, want to be concerned. They're concerned with, hey, look at Am I going to have enough money f- to fund my expenses? And then legacy and contingencies come after that. But that's where they're most concerned. The process that we use is basically it's it's uh it's a it's almost like a flow chart. They take the RISA, they come up with a s- style, we, we find out what their style is, then the solutions from the solutions and solutions it, really solutions or 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 product classes are really the same, the asset allocation, and then the funding strategies. Now it's going to be different for um, anybody, you know, obviously it's different for somebody who's total return versus income protection, but the methodology is the same. And ultimately what we do is we get down to the point where there's going to be a funding strategy. But once you do their style and follow the process, then it's relatively easy to show them, hey, based on your style, this is the product, these are the asset classes, and this is how we're going to fund it. And then They understand it. And I think if you follow that process, it's easy and you can tailor it to wherever they, whatever quadrant they fall in. So, yes, the answer to your question is, I think the RISA and the discovery process in the beginning lends itself to that methodology. And I I think, you know, this methodology leads to greater adoption and implementation and and. And and that's critical, and I think it it streamlines the process, and you get them to buy into it, which is really what you want them to do.
3: Now, now the the whole piece since you know we have a fair number of consumers listening in, I would say most most of our listeners are consumers, and there's still a large subset of advisors. How, as a consumer, taking it based on the reactions that you've gotten? I, I, I think because of we're sourcing this to the surface. One of the things you said is total return, income protection, and so what. Wade and I have noticed as we've gotten feedback from consumers is we're starting to lay the foundation for a language. You know, most consumers are individuals or however you want to call it, investors, what, what have you. There's this real there's this lack of realization that there's many ways to get this retirement income strat. You know, to solve your retirement income puzzle, there's many ways to do it. Once they take it, do you notice that they themselves are having an aha moment in the sense of, okay, there's this, but I'm like this, that kind of thing. Do Do they learn? In fact, is there some sort of cathartic event that happens just by taking it as well?
2: Yes, absolutely. And it lends itself by taking it. It lends itself to having a conversation to educate them more. So they become, they're more educated on the whole process and education is, you know, is knowledge is power. I, I want to take a step back because I really think it's important okay. because it goes to that point that, that you just made, Alex, is that the RISA delves deeper in uncovering the psychological makeup of a respondent. When they go through this, what we find is, and we get into that educational uh, portion the client can then, at the very end of the process, understand and articulate why they bought a specific strategy. A lot of times we found in the past that a client, you'll ask a client, well, why is this strategy in place? Or why did you put it? Well, you know, it seemed right. Or, you know, my advisor said, no, you want the client, like, like any product, to articulate why they purchased it. When they do that, there's two key things that happen. One is when they articulate it and they know what they purchase, they're more apt to stick to that strategy. In any plan, you want them to stick to it. You want them to basically, you know, feel comfortable even in times of market duress and volatility. The second thing is they can sleep at night. And so when you combine the ability to articulate and feel comfortable why you own the product, why that style fits you and the resulting solutions make sense with the ability to sleep well at night, what you get is financial security and emotional comfort. And what more do you want from a plan? Because that's the... That gives you an enjoyable retirement. It's not just the money that you hope you're going to have to take you through retirement. It's enjoying the retirement. And so the psychological psychological aspects of understanding why they're doing something really comes out in the RISA and allows you to have that conversation. And it gets the client more involved, more comfortable. And then it allows for a plan to put together that really is going to be very successful.
1: Then that's great. And maybe it's a good chance to have a, a brief commercial interlude there. And, and so we usually have Bob come in to do that, but we would just like to mention to any of the financial advisors in the audience listening today.
0: Are you a financial professional looking to learn more about the RISA and Retirement Income Best Practices? Well, if you are, you should join our Retirement Income Masterclass on Monday, August 28th and Tuesday, August 29th. You can sign up at risaprofilecom slash advisors. That's risaprofile.com slash advisors.
1: Online, it'll be an opportunity to learn more about the research behind the RISA and also have the opportunity to, to learn how to incorporate the RISA into your practice. And you can find uh, sign up for that, I should say, at risaprofile.com. That's R-I-S-A profile.com slash and that's advisor with an O. We're if you're thinking with an E, it's this is advisor with an O. <laughs> that's the compliance joke, inside joke on compliance. And and Larry,
3: we'll ask you again at the end. But how can someone find out a little bit more about you? They, you know they're they liking what they're hearing, etc. What would you recommend? We can obviously put a link.
2: Uh, you know, at the, at the end of the show, uh, but our, our, our website is BlackDiamondWealthManagement.com. dot com. They can find us. There's a couple of different black ma- Black Diamond Wealth Managements that have a, a different uh, product and services, um, but we're you know we're registered investment advisors. Uh, we do have a website. Um, our firm is a I like to call us a small boutique firm, um, and um, uh, we basically are you know standard. Practices in the industry, we, we do investment management, customized financial planning. Uh, uh, one of the reasons why, again, uh, to, to uh, why we uh, seem to align very well with the Risa product is, you know, we're agnostic advisors. And, um, you know, we use both insurance and investment products uh, in our solutions. So it aligns perfectly with our business model. And our belief is optimal solutions are constructed when all available tools can be considered. So we use them all, and that's why the RISA works for us because we are we have a background and an expertise both in investment related products and annuities and and bonds and.
3: No, Larry, I I think what you said is true, and this is where this is where we're realizing that we're attracting actually a movement of advisors, uh, and, and the reality is. Those advisors that feel that there's many correct ways to get it right, you know, as opposed to there's one singular way, I I think where they're finding a home with what we're doing, and for good reason, you know. What what happens when you have? This is just a a question that I, I sort of want to ask everyone in this series. Is obviously many times there's a couple involved, right? Right. How do you deal with that? So the questions that the thoughts that I have in my head is. How do you, do you do they both do it? Do they do it independently? Do you do it with them? Do you sort of how do you reconcile differences when there are differences, et cetera? That, that kind of thing.
2: Can I and um, it's a great question. Can I give you a, a, an example? Yeah, absolutely. Fire um, away. absolutely. Yeah. We 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 uh, we have a client uh, who we've had for a while and they are planning clients and they are in their early 60s uh, have a successful business. The husband had a successful business and he, they came to us and said, look at, you know what, we're going through that transition phase. We're thinking about retiring soon. And we realized we need a, you know, a portfolio, I mean, a, a financial planning review and an update. And I said, great. We were planning an update almost immediately thereafter. Uh, they sold their business for a significant amount of money. And now they came to us and said, look, we're going to now accelerate the process from the accumulation to the distribution phase. We have just accumulated. Right, exactly. (laughs) You got the accumulation that enhanced what they had. So they said, listen, we want to accelerate the process. Uh, The husband was going to retire. The kids were out of the house. We already had all their numbers because we had done a plan for them. And the first thing that I did was say, "Okay, that's great. We have your numbers. Take the RISA. And we're going to have you each take the RISA, which they did. And lo and behold, the wife came out, total return, all total return. The husband came out, yeah, basically risk wrap. And again, you may want to
3: just give a little,
1: wait, Do you can you give a little 10 second on these beforehand for the people that are listening in? <laughs> just in case. Right, right. So the, the four retirement styles, the total return is... You're comfortable relying on the market and you really value optionality as a a key motivation. Risk wrap. You also are comfortable relying on market growth, but you also want to commit to a strategy. And also there's generally more a sense of you are worried about outliving your money, so you want some sort of guardrail. You don't want to be completely dependent on market growth. But that's interesting to have the two spouses both Being comfortable with the market growth, but then taking that different perspective on the optionality with the total
2: returns versus the commitment and with the risk. Right. And it made it easy because we started with the husband. We knew the pool of money that was available. They had different styles. First time they realized it because nope, they hadn't taken the survey. Nobody talked about it before. And so we started. We had their fixed expenses. We knew what guaranteed income was coming in in the future with Social Security. They had a pension, cash value, life insurance, and there was a delta. There was a difference between what guaranteed income they had coming in and what their expenses were. So we explained, listen, the strategy should be let's take some money from this pool and let's put together some solutions to basically get you to a point where all your fixed expenses or your essential expenses are covered. And then you'll still have, you know, you'll still have underlying accounts, you know, and basically the products, the solutions would have been RILAs and variable annuities with guaranteed living benefits. So he felt comfortable that now their essential expenses were covered and he still had room for, you know, growth with, you know, the sub-accounts. She now felt comfortable because the rest of the portfolio could be put together and then in basically a stock and bond investment related so, portfolio. So
3: let me let me, let me That's great. And I love the reconciliation of these two things. What what would be your view if I would have given two risk questionnaires and the the she she comes out at a, a risk tolerance questionnaire that, oh, this is good for a 90 10, you know, 90% equity, 10% equity i mean 10% fixed income and he would have been 50-50 50% equity 50% fixed income would that have solved what you're talking
2: about yeah i i, I it could have but in this case it was i think it was it, it was based on the results it was very easy to because yeah, risk no, ground,
3: but that that's I, exactly my point like a, a risk tolerance question it doesn't get at these retirement strategies
2: Well, the standard risk tolerance questionnaire doesn't deal with this all. And that's the limitation. Uh, The risk tolerance questionnaire is great during accumulation phase, but it may not be that that may not be very, very good in the distribution phase. Remember, I think that there's a major difference between uh, product allocation and asset allocation. You got to you got to you got to have product allocation first, a solution, and then the asset allocation follows. I, I agree. Reason. I'm
3: just kind of – I'm yeah. trying to – there's a consumer listening out there that I don't want them to come away with at the end of this saying, oh, the Reese is a risk tolerance questioner.
2: Absolutely not. That kind of thing. It's not. It's <laughs> not. Uh, it, you're absolutely right. It's not. And I think it, coming up with a certain style first you know, and then the resultant solutions and then – you, you, you know, you come down into the asset allocation and then the funding and so forth and did, so on.
3: Did they both feel that they were making concessions or did they feel instead that it was
2: a win-win? It was a win-win. And by, by the way, both of them felt that they were coming away with what they wanted, but, but felt good that the other, the spouse was getting what they wanted as well. And I think that was critical mm-hmm. because, you know, by doing it this way – they understood what their needs were, and then you could craft solutions that would benefit both of them. However, it had the same result to the total plan. They were going to get to the same place in the end. It was gotcha. giving them a little bit of what they both wanted to achieve that ultimate goal.
1: No, I I think
2: and, there's and two reveals.
1: To Go on, with. Well, I just, yeah, a lot of times I think something you are, a direction you're going with that risk tolerance questionnaire is, there's not a good way to develop any sort of compromise on the asset allocation. But with this, there is because you still, they both desire market growth, but one of them is just wants some sort of guardrail around that. So, okay, you can put a guardrail in place and still focus on the market growth. It's not with risk tolerance questionnaires. It's like, okay, I have to reduce the stock allocation into bonds. And that does take away the growth potential. But when you have product allocation, you do have that better way to approach how can we still facilitate the market growth while having a guardrail in place. And that's what financial products can do that are on the insurance side of the spectrum and not just the, the
2: traditional investment tools. So I, that, that's a great example. I would I would take a step back on one thing, Alex, that you had said that I think is really on a broader scale, what you guys are doing with the RISA. And that is, you know, we're fortunate that we do have knowledge in in all the products and all the solutions. We have we have, you know, insurance based and investment based products. This is what we've done. I think the movement that you've had and, and, and why it's going to gain greater acceptance is because there is no one style that's right for everyone. And I think it's going to force, in a good way, advisors to be more knowledgeable and agnostic about all the solutions that are available. As an individual and a potential client, you want the advisor to give you guidance on what's right for you. Not, You know, it's not putting a round peg in a square hole, right? If everything, all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I think this is going to, over time, it's going to force advisors to broaden their knowledge to their benefit and allow them to do a better job service, servicing their clients.
3: Oh, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, do you, how, do you, how would you feel? Because you, you really are a, a pro at this. And, and I mean this, you know, as sincerely as I, as I can. How, would, how have you felt having this tool in your hands has facilitated the rapport building in the discovery meeting?
2: It's it's critical as I as I mentioned earlier. The discovery phase is really really critical. It's it's critical in building the rapport, starting the process. Because if you don't build the rapport during that phase, you know then there's going to be a breakdown in a relationship. And, and before you get into because I know where you're going, I, I also want you to address how should a con- how should
3: a consumer approach that discovery meeting with an advisor and why this. This helps cut to the chase a little easier. There's there's two perspectives. I guess I'm asking you this question: the advisor,
2: you know how have how has it helped you?
3: But then, why helping you is important for the consumer
2: as well. I'll I'll say this: and and you in one of the you know when I was looking at some of the things that we we're possibly going to discuss today, you talked about you know use of the RISA and the matrix and the implementation matrix. I'll give you a perfect example of that. You go through the implementation matrix and you're finding out both the client and yourself, if this is potentially a fit, does the client want a, an advisor? Does a client need to an advisor? I think that both from the client perspective and from the advisor perspective, there's one thing that sometimes people forget is that you're not only, the client is not only interviewing you, you're interviewing the client. It's got to be a mutually beneficial relationship. So I think ultimately what the client will learn from that, both the client and advisor, is you may find a potential uh, prospect who looks like they need an advisor. They absolutely need an advisor. They fall on the matrix where they want an advisor. But maybe you're not the right advisor. Maybe you're not the right advisor for the client and the client is not, you know, and as an advisor, the client is not right for you. So I think that during the discovery process, as you go through this, I hope that it facilitates a conversation, not only about learning about the client and the client learning about you as an advisor, but whether there's a match there. Because ultimately, it has to be mutually beneficial. One in one equals three. If it works properly, if it doesn't, ultimately, it shouldn't be a relationship that even starts off from the beginning. And I think that as you go through the research and we found this, I found this in, in doing this with some prospects. We went through the process and we realized at the end that there was you needed advisory services, but we weren't the right advisor. There just wasn't a match. And and to find that out is critically important.
0: If you're looking for more personal advice, please note that our show is sponsored by McLean Asset Management. Learn more at McLeanAM.com. That's M-C-L-E-A-N-A-M.com. McLean Asset Management is a wealth management firm where we help you design and implement the right retirement plan for you.
3: I I think you strike on something, and this is good for consumers. If, If you're looking for advisors... And that advisor is not really qualifying you as well. If all they're looking for is someone that can fog a mirror, that's not a good advisor for you. You know, uh, and, and Larry is uh, 100% right because the top advisors, as much as they want to help, they also want it to be a lasting relationship because at the end of the day, if it's not, it's just not worth it from the from, from the whole rigmarole of, of things. They, they You know, an advisor wants to you know, work with clients that they enjoy working with. And this helps to that extent. And, and it should be a, there should be reciprocity with that enjoyment. If not, it just never works.
2: Absolutely. And that should come out again, that should come out early in the dialogue between the advisor and the client. And, and if the questions are asked uh, very quickly, you'll find out if the conversation should go to the next level or thank you, I've learned something, uh, this is not a fit. And, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that.
3: Yeah, and when doesn't it go to the next level? What would be a thing where you take it and the implementation is this person somehow came to your office, but he's a self-directed person and you're like, so, it's not going to work out? Or it, they don't focus on a strategy, they, they really don't want a strategy that you may have expertise in?
2: Well, I went deeper than that. A, a client who, who basically tells you he wants something basically and he's told you in many ways maybe it came out in the Risa that it's clear that they should be doing something and they're adamant about not doing it Mm. we don't want to put in a plan for somebody that yes we're listening to them but clearly it's not the right thing to do and so our feeling is you probably should go elsewhere and have it implemented by someone else because if that's the case you've already have preconceived notions and there'll be a problem down the road uh you know, I think that I think another good thing that's come out of them taking the survey is when they find out what their style is. We find that people either with little knowledge or preconceived notions about, and I'm going to use annuities as an example because, because that tends to be where people really either don't have much knowledge or have you know preconceived notions are inaccurate from the press. We can then have that conversation with them. They're more amenable because they told us what their style is. Yeah, and said, yeah. This is your style. So let's talk <laughs> about some things that, you know, you may not understand or you may have some preconceived notions. And I will tell both of you that we've had clients that came in that in the beginning of the conversation had said to us from day one. Yep. I'd like to go through the process, but don't even talk to me about annuities. I don't want to hear about annuities. And at the end of the conversation, as we built the relationship and there was a relationship that ultimately was built, we put in plans that put in things in the beginning that they were completely against and they realized that they didn't understand them and that it helped us do the right thing for them. And they appreciated that.
3: Yeah, I think from a marketing standpoint, look, and that's another phrase I say over and over the folks that you know provide annuities right now, this day and age, are are suffering from the sins of their fathers, when these things may you know were, were sold you know poorly, right? And and frankly, there's still probably a subset of folks that that do it now, but that doesn't mean that what annuity solves is something that's bad. No, it, they're needed. It's an insurance product. It's not an investment product. And when it's framed appropriately, it solves significant retirement income problems. Now that. That being the case, I mean, the RISA doesn't – it's very explicit in the questions that it asks, right? And so it's not like it's figuring out that you're left-handed and you like to swim in a pool. So hence, you you like this product versus that strategy. It's really asking you things that strategy solve for. And you're over time consistently choosing those preferences. And if you do that enough times, at the end of the RISA – You can't you know, it it really is what it is at face value. If if you literally have said over and over again that you like solutions that solve for this problem and there's really only a certain strategy that can solve for that problem a certain way, then it's
1: it it's kind of obvious at that point. Right right way? Yeah, and that's a really interesting way to put it because I think maybe this is an area where the RISA can make this conversation go quicker. (laughs) I think the annuity is the perfect example where before you have to try to get a sense of what the person is looking for and they may hint upon ideas related to protections, to commitment, to predictable income, to uh, solving for the concern about outliving their money and so forth. But it's hard for them or to articulate. Now with the Risa, they're stating these things explicitly, and you see in the report, here's the kinds of statements that you said you agree with. If you have such a negative visceral reaction to the annuity because of things that you heard as you flipped through the radio, your car radio and so forth, it, it's hard to proceed from there. But that I, that's great to also hear, Larry, that you had the experiences where people were listening to the AM car radio too much, came in with that preconceived notion, and you were able to help set them straight that, no, this is a financial product that's not appropriate for everyone, but based on the kinds of preferences you've revealed, this is something you may want to think about. And, and so being able to then have them change their mind in that manner, that that's wonderful to hear about. It, it's
2: not that difficult, I think, when, when you do this because it's educational. I think... A good prospective client wants to hear it and they've given you the opportunity. They've laid it out on a silver platter when they've done the reset because they're telling you that, okay, this is my style. Now, help me understand what makes sense. Uh, And I think that makes it much easier. And and in the end, um, they appreciate it. They're more educated. They understand. And they're not necessarily listening to the ad that says we uh, we hate annuities. You should, too. Um, I'll say something. (laughs)
3: I, I think they respect you for it. I I think if you kowtow to everything that a prospect comes in with, you are the expert and you really are. There's a, there's a respect that comes with it. You're not like authoritarian sort of forcing some sort of solution. You're taking into account their style and you're using it to formulate a solution that solves for that style. If someone doesn't want to hear that next, I mean, there's nothing more you can say, but you know, if, at the very least, they'll respect you for it because that's your job as, as a professional. And so, you know, I, I think it sets, us up, sets that up very nicely. I, I think it's maybe when you start, you want to take on any clients. But Larry, at this stage in your career, I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. you can teach me a thing or two
2: on the dynamics of, of well, you know, looking I, at somebody I, across the table. I wouldn't go that far, but but also it is also helpful as a fiduciary when Absolutely. when you're trying to put the right plan in place, and this this allows them to tell you what you're looking for. So it really is marrying it. Yeah, know? this
3: wait, this reminds me of John Faustino. He said this thing, and and, and it stuck with me when we interviewed him. And John Faustino is a, a, a high one of the nicest people you'll meet. He's uh, head of Fi three hundred and sixty, a fiduciary software platform that advisors use with, within uh, defined contribution plans. And uh, I, I always like the phrase: "You can't, you can't, you you can't uh, function in some, with under with someone's best interest in mind if you never ask them what their best interests are." Right. Right. And so fiduciary, right? There it is, right? But he also said there was another component to that, and it has to do with competence where you have to be up to date with the literature on solutions for best from a best practices standpoint. And the reality is if you cut yourself from a retirement income perspective, if you cut yourself off from any solution that has to do with insurance for retirement income, well, I have Wade right here on this podcast. And in God we trust everyone else bring data under that frame of mind. And Wade will have papers that will show you on – you can't argue it on the merits that annuities aren't a viable solution with retirement. And with annuities, we're using that word as a general thing, but there's many types. It's like if I said mutual funds, there's many types. So I understand that. But there's a two-pronged approach to this fiduciary piece, which is asking the clients what's in their best interest, you know, literally via preferences, and then as an advisor being competent enough to be
1: able to curate that. Wait. Yeah, and, and Larry, something you said earlier that really resonates with me is I do think at the end of the day, advisors who are comfortable integrating both insurance and investments are best positioned to really lead forward and, and serve the most people. And, and that's where when <laughs> you're not trying to convince everyone they need an annuity, only when it's relevant, and you're just as comfortable providing an investment-based solution. But if what they're revealing through their preferences is that they want more protections, the investment-based solution may not be right for them. They may not understand their risk tolerance. They may abandon that strategy at the worst possible time because it's not their style. And so thank you for what you do in terms of- Well, you're very
2: welcome. I I don't know why an advisor would not want to have this tool in their toolkit. Uh, it It makes their job easier. It facilitates a stronger conversation, and it allows them to put in place plans that are more closely aligned with what that client ultimately is telling you they want, and that's really what it's all about. It, you know, to put in something that's you know it, it's right for you. There's I don't know if there's anything that's perfect, but there's there, there are definitely things that are optimal, and and, and optimal is going to vary from person to person. And this is a key tool to use to get to that level of knowledge to be able to put together those solutions for that client.
3: No, Larry, that's great. I was going to ask you, where do you think this could go? But I, I think I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, I think I think you were, you know, you, you were spot on with that. I have one question for you guys. What, hey, we do the questions around it now. No. I know <laughs>
2: I'm, I'm, I'm going to shoot one. So when you're out there in the world, you know, uh, uh, talking to people, advisors, companies, you. Um, when you get pushback or you get questions, what are they? Because it seems to me that there's nothing like this on the market. And, and then for people that do what we do, it's just a natural extension of the whole planning discovery process that makes things easy. But, you know, uh, where where the, where the challenges that you guys are facing in terms of, of, of yeah. expanding.
3: I'll, I'll start it and then I'll leave it to Wade because he's, he's the closer. Uh, I'll say this, there's, we've gotten a lot of inbound, Larry. And so what what I mean by that is they've self-selected. People have called us. We don't have a sales team. It's just Wade and myself, Maggie and Trevor. That's it. That's the team, right? And people come up to us as institutions have come up to us about this. And so that to me, that's, they've kind of self-selected. They buy in. But when we do have Someone that pushes back because, you know, let's say you're in a meeting with five people and there's always somebody, right? (laughs) You know, someone has to add value, (laughs) if you will. Uh, when, when, When we have pushback, it has to be when somebody wants two reasons. They think their strategy is the best. And you get this a lot with time segmentation bucketing. I would have thought it would have been the annuity people or the total return people. But you'd be surprised how many total return advisors are very, very amenable towards increasing their toolbox. Mm-hmm. I, I, you'd be surprised. I, I I thought they would give us the toughest. No, not at all. I thought that
2: that's where you would get the most pushback. The,
3: it's the time segmentation bucketing folks that think that's the um. only way. Uh, but there, there's that. And then there's... The, so the, the, they give us trouble like that. The other piece is the person that says, I focus on one thing for my firm. How can I get the RISA map to identify every strategy? How can I get... How can I get placement? How can I get the entire real estate of the recent map? Because, you know, there's certain quadrants. If you land in a certain quadrant, you start with a different style, right? But they're like, regardless of what quadrant they land on, how can I kind of finagle my way to to lead with my preferred approach?
2: Uh, which that's, defeats the whole approach. Yeah, but that doesn't uh, happen.
3: That's like, that's the minority, the very sliver of the Marty. I think 95% percent we well, golden. Good. That's which good. We know that we're good. Wade, uh, what's your
1: take? Yeah, yeah, I do think the area where there can be pushback is the advisor who does feel there is one approach that's optimal for everyone. And and when that happens, we usually will hear a, a brief comment about it and then they move on. And now there's plenty of advisors who are realizing that you know, they really need to expand when it comes to retirement income, what they're able to do. But no, there are advisors who are very strictly adherent to one particular approach. Now they could still use the RISA to just figure out who are the best candidates to work with sure. as a firm. But even then, it, they don't think it's necessary because who cares what their style is? There's only one appropriate retirement income strategy. And I've even like just an example of this was a comment made and where we had posted an article about this. The advisor said. The advisor's job is to convince their clients to be 100% stocks because stocks give the best growth potential <laughs> over the long term. And, and so that, that's, that's an example of... <laughs> that's scary. Yes, absolutely. But that's scary. They don't need the RISA in that scenario because they, <laughs> <No>.
2: <laughs> they're in the extreme <laughs> And I don't want them as my advisor and... <laughs> either, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't
3: want them in my firm.
2: Uh, that's, uh,
3: that's, yeah.
2: that's, by the way, way, by the way I, I do have to give, uh, if I may, I have to give a shout out to your RISA team, and its members, uh, and obviously yeah, Maggie and Trevor. There, yeah. they, they, Maggie and Trevor have done a great job. Uh, they've been receptive when I've had questions, and they also are both are very receptive. You know, especially my conversations with Maggie when I've had suggestions. And uh, so, I, I, you, you've got a great team behind you, and uh, keep it up.
1: No, thank you for oh, that. Thank you. Yeah, we'll definitely let them know. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely let them and, know. Yeah, as we and, and again, as we close up, Larry, could you? Yeah. Let everyone know how they can find you, and also the geographic area. You did mention based out of the New York City area, but with in terms of if anyone wants to reach out to you, yep. should they be in that geographic region? No,
2: or- no, we are, uh, we are, uh, <laughs> uh, we are uh, universal. We are, uh, we do business. Uh, I don't know if all fifty states, but we have clients in um, in probably ninety uh, percent of the the states. Uh, and again, between, uh, investment services, financial planning, we do group benefits. So, uh, we, we have a pretty nice little boutique firm and and we're at the point in time where it's nice that, um, we like growing our firm, uh, but we're content to bring on the right type of clients to build the right relationships because our view is our clients, we develop a very deep, deep, uh, um, bond with. And we do a lot of generational planning for that reason. So it's nice. You want to you want to like the people you do business with. It really is. As you both know, it's really critical. It's not just about doing business. It's build a camaraderie, a team uh, and relationships. And that's what we love. We, we think that that especially a business like this, it's just so intimate When you're dealing with some but something that's so important to people, their financial life. It's important.
3: No, Larry, it's like I said at the at the top of the program. The 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 in my view, the best advisors are the ones that you don't hear in. They don't have their own. well, they could have a podcast, but you know what I mean. They're not creating content eighty percent of the time. Their work week is actually working with clients because they just absolutely love it and they love the engagement and they love helping. And I, I think you personify that, uh, you know, wholeheartedly. So uh, you know, thank you, and again, for, thanks.
2: thanks. Thanks for having me. It's oh, been it's, it's been a pleasure. Uh, hopefully, we will have a chance to get together soon. Next time you're in New York, uh, do, let man. me know, uh, Alex. You and I went out. Wade, love to have you join us. We could tell some stories that we can't uh, right. t- tell on the <laughs> air. Uh, but, uh, not with not the same organic. rating. Not with the same rating uh, on the podcast. <laughs> I I I look forward to your future successes and uh, and continue to wish you guys the best. You're on to something, and it's made our life easier. And I think it's going to it's gonna be very positive for the industry, uh, both on the client side and, of course, on the advisor side. Thank you so much, Larry. And on the advisor side,
3: don't forget, hit us up at resaprofilecom forward slash advisor, where we're going to have our retirement income masterclass. So you'll get, you know, two-day masterclass on the RESA and how you can incorporate that into your practice. What date are we doing that, Wade? I don't want to mess that up. July tenth and eleventh. So sign up now. All right. Thank you, Larry. I really, really appreciate it. And just My hang pleasure. on, I'm gonna stop the recording, but just just hang on. All right. All right, everyone. Bye.
0: Wade and Alex are both principals of McLean Asset Management and retirement researcher. Both are SEC registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.